If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Nurse Wellness Podcast, hosted by Wendy Garvin Mayo, focuses on the power of stress management and how it's foundational to being your best, doing your best, and giving your best. There's a wonderful episode that you should check out called Letting Go, where Wendy Garvin Mayo shares six strategies to release control and manage stress effectively. Check out Nurse Wellness Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. What's up, y'all? It's Dr. Erica here, your Harvard-trained, double-board-certified psychiatrist, author, and speaker. Guess what? The season two premiere is almost here, but I have one more bonus episode for you. This episode is not only another best-of episode, but it's a best-of-Dr.Erica episode that focuses on family. It has all different speakers and messages than the last episode, so you don't want to miss it. This episode features Alana Matthews, attorney and candidate for Sacramento County District Attorney, Dr. Anissa Jones, award-winning chiropractor, business coach, and entrepreneur, Dr. Yvette McQueen, emergency medicine physician and travel wellness expert, Leela Goodwin, my mom, prior homemaker and master of making money stretch, Dr. Lakeisha McMillan, integrative OBGYN speaker and author, Brendan Moore, also known as B. Moore, Master Community Builder and Wellness Expert, along with Terrell Fletcher, retired NFL athlete, faith leader, and speaker. The great thing here is that since this is a Best of Dr. Erica episode, you get straight to the lessons of wisdom. So you're going to want to stay on until the last moment because I know these segments are powerful. They were exactly what I needed even when I was listening them back to put this episode together for you. This episode centers around family, but you don't have to have siblings, children, or living parents for this to apply for you. All of you have a family or are part of a family, either biologically or chosen. This is a great review of previous episodes and a wonderful introduction to the Better with Dr. Erica podcast. If you have not listened to it before, you can always go back and listen to the original episodes later. These clips also feature areas of the Better 7, those seven areas that are essential for you to have that better life that you deserve. The better seven are steps, silence, self-talk, supply, support, structure, and sleep. This episode features support, relationships, and self-talk. You show up for work, for your friends, and for your family. Now it's time for you to show up for yourself. 
keep listening for strategies and inspiration to help you be better, do better, and live better. I want to put you back in your life. You're going to hear some shareable moments in this episode. Let me tell you how the Better Nation does it. Share your insights and quotes on social media with the hashtag BetterNation. You can also, if you want to get fancy, put better with Dr. Erica. But I know my name has lots of letters. It's E-R-I-C-K-A, all of the letters. You can do this on the Twitter, Instagram, the Facebook, or even LinkedIn. So let me stop talking because I'm beyond excited for you to hear the actual episode. Enjoy the show. This upcoming clip features Alana Matthews. She's not only my Spellman sister and my line sister in Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, but she's also an attorney. And did I mention she's running for the district attorney for Sacramento County? She drops so many pearls, pun unintended, or maybe it is intended. That is hard to pick out just one clip. Tune in to hear about how she is focused on raising children that are good humans in the midst of adversity and doing all this while serving the community and fighting for justice, especially for those that have no voice. As we talk about family, home comes up and how home can be such an inspiration in your purpose. Home and family can be such great sources of inspiration and have the power to shape our lives. Keep listening to hear more. Better with Dr. Erica. But another thing that you talked about, I want to touch on a little bit, um, because one thing that is huge, and I know it happened in our lives and it happens, happens for a lot of young people, is there's this osmosis of when they see adults and kind of soaking in lessons just from kind of being in the environment. What are some of the lessons or things that you feel like from a lot of your career of service, um, hard work? balancing family, what are some of the things you feel like have kind of rubbed off or influenced your children? You know, it's really weird because now my kids are 22, 24, and my oldest um, is going to be 26 this year. I'm not ready. And look, I wasn't ready. Like they're, they're, they're little people. Like they are adults now. They all have their own places and own cars. And I'm seeing them turn into especially my daughter. She's not going to like it. She's a mini me. She's a mini me. And so sometimes they'll call me and they will just have gotten off the phone with the customer service rep. And they're like, mom, I have turned into you. I have turned into you. Like I have put them through a seven point interrogation about this level of I'm like, okay. But um, what I can say is you know, in our in our family, when we experienced, you know, the divorce, that was probably one of the most traumatic experiences. Um, we were very open with mental health and sharing our families. And so as a parent of a college student, college age students, you know, everybody in that 20 something phase, they deal a lot with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I am so proud of and I can say is that my children have embraced that and they've learned from that. Um, because they've just been able to give themselves grace. So whether it's, um, you know, my daughter dealing with body positivity, you know, she's usually the one, you know, like talking to her friends and she really has this great mindset about being healthy and not necessarily, you know, being skinny. And then Mm -hmm. my son, he's an artist. My youngest um, son is an artist. And so, you know, he thinks in the abstract. And he told me the other day, 
he said, I realize I am a visual, part of the reason why I'm an artist is because I can express myself visually. And I realize when I'm talking to people, I'm trying to create a picture because I want them to see what I see. And that is too much information. Like sometimes we just <laughs> want to know like the facts. And and I'm like, oh my God, why, why are you sitting reflecting and peeling all of that apart? And um, I think I think that has stemmed from me, um, you know, embracing them, kind of sharing their feelings, me helping them to be open about that, to sharing and getting resources because I'm mom and, you know, sometimes I might be saying the right, the right thing, but you can't hear from me. So, you know, they've gone to see, you know, therapists or counselors. And so now they are equipped with the skills to kind of do that self-reflection and just evolving um, with their mental health and their mental disability. And that puts them in a place where they can do a lot more service to others. And I, I'm just so proud mm-hmm. when I see them um, with that level of commitment. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little sensitive sometimes, so I'm trying not to have my eyes start sweating. <laughs> Because I'm sitting here like, I love my mom, but if I had to choose an extra one, I'm like, can I be one of Alana's kids? Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, 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 it's really wonderful to see. I mean, I think that's the best thing you can do as a, uh, see as a parent is seeing your child. Um, and, and for me to find myself in a situation where I feel like the rug was pulled out from under me um, and I'm in a different state, I, I didn't have mm-hmm. family around. Um, no one really to fall back on. Um, certainly I could have went back home to Gary, but I, I, my children had a life out here. And so I, I'm trying to make, not to make that face. Cause I, I'm, I'm from St. Louis. I love St. Louis, but. Right. Right. Yes. But you know, we, we have a calling to help in other, other places. And I feel like if I left this earth today, my children would be able to make it. That's probably the number one thing I've wanted to do is is get them to a level of self-sufficiency. And that doesn't mean you do it all. It just means that you do what you can and you know how to find resources to do the rest. I'm so touched. I'm almost speechless. But since I'm on a podcast, I can't sit here <laughs> and aimlessly look into my computer and be like, oh. Um, but that that is just so so incredibly moving. And I I know you mentioned earlier, you know, you've worked with a lot of communities that were marginalized and and people that have been mistreated. What do you think has inspired you to advocate so strongly for all of these people that at times seem to have no voice? It stems from my experience in Gary, Indiana. Um, a lot of people know it from Mac- Michael Jackson, but I think more regionally, it's known for the high crime, high poverty, high unemployment. A lot of bad in Gary, but there's a lot of good people. And mm. over um, a period of time, that's all the city was reduced to was statistics. Um, it's Gary is right outside of Chicago. So what you're hearing, the narrative you're hearing about is Chicago. We've always heard that about Gary. Gary was one of the cities that had a first black mayor. So we experienced a lot of white flights. Um, it's mm-hmm. a steel mill town. They began to close and all of the resources went to a lot of other cities 
in Northwest Indiana, but not Gary. So no more investments, infrastructure, you know, career opportunities. And so having grown up in that environment where everyone always has something negative, and I knew there was a lot of positive, um, that helps me relate to other people who have been marginalized because they shouldn't be de- defined by one, their circumstances or statistics. Um, and also, you know, the, the reality of it is, is I'm the first one in my family to um, graduate from college. I'm the first one to um, not be a teenage mother. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of um, other firsts. Um, my dad was the only one of his brothers who was not incarcerated. Oh, wow. And so there are a lot of obstacles that I had to navigate. Um, you know, when I talk about there are a lot of good people in Gary, well, you know, two of them were my parents, but certainly there were many more in, in my village. And they taught me to, you know, focus on your education and that's how you'll build a better life. And I use that experience to reach out to others who may not have had that. So I've mentored women on parole um, who just got caught up in maybe it was their relationship that got them into Mm -hmm. criminal activity or just, you know, having to raise themselves because they didn't really have a stable, you know, childhood. Um, And so I may not be able to relate to the exact circumstances, but I certainly could relate to navigating obstacles and, and help keeping them on track. And then I've um, also mentored, you mentioned the Florin Law Academy, young people. And there, I think it was just important to see a person of color who was an attorney because they, a lot of them had never seen that in their life. We worked with Florin Law Academy. There were some students who had never been in an elevator. Oh, wow. And this is 2010. <laughs> um, we took them to the federal courthouse and they were like, what is this thing? And so it just shows you some of the limiting experiences that individuals have. And it's just a matter of exposing them. Um, And the same way with me, you know, um, you know, being the first to go to college, there are lots of new experiences and that just kind of opened my eyes up. So that has has prompted me and motivated me to um, create those same experience for for others. You heard it here. One of the tools that was utilized to help Alana raise great humans was prioritizing mental health and the sharing of feelings. One of my favorite things that she said was, if I left this earth today, my children could make it. We are raising children to be able to live independently, make the world better, and to be good and kind humans. Regardless of whether we birth children We all have the power to impact the youth and younger generations. You truly are part of a village raising children. You just heard that Gary is more than the home of the Jacksons and how home can ground you and be a source of inspiration to be an agent of change. No matter if you love where you're from or you can't stand it, home has the power to ground you and shine a light on your purpose. Home and family don't just impact the Better 7 concept of support, but they can also impact self-talk, how you talk to yourself. Did I mention how phenomenal this episode is and how you should go back and check out the entire interview of Alana on episode 16? Well, I'm saying it here. Next up is Dr. Anissa Jones, also known as Dr. Nisa. Let me let you on a little secret. She's also my accountability partner. I love her to death. 
She is one of my super friends and is a master entrepreneur. I literally don't have time to tell you about all the businesses that she has. She's also an award-winning chiropractor, business coach, and as I already said, owner of multiple businesses. This entire segment highlights the power of a grandmother's love and the amazing things you can do with your family behind you. You never know that one thing you will do that will make a lasting impression on someone's life. Let's get to it. Better with Dr. Erica. How did you decide to become a chiropractor? I always tell everybody that it was my grandmother. I, my grandmother definitely saved my life. Um, uh, as a small child, I did have the the great uh, fortune to grow up with my grandmother. She's gone and, and has passed, and she um, is not with us uh, physically uh, anymore, but her presence is ever there every day in my life. Um, my grandmother was a very strong, uh, powerful woman. Um, I, I felt like she could do everything. In fact, uh, when I decided I wanted to have a little business, she was my first investor of my business. Wow. Um, she, she, <laughs> it was so cute. She gave us the opportunity to kind of create our first company when I was in high school. And um, indeed, it was a mobile candy store. But to me, it was everything that I needed to be able to get the things that we we couldn't get on our own. So she was like, here you go, here's $50. And we went shopping for candy. So, you know, we kids like candy, so let's sell candy. And um, by the time that year had gotten done, we had turned this $50 to $5,000. And so we were like, this is, there's something to this entrepreneurship thing. You know, you can turn something small into certain something big just by the amount of energy that you put in it and hard work. Um, My grandmother also was a huge believer in um, homeopathic methods and remedies. She really understood the the power of uh, innate what we have from within us. And I would just really watch her as a small girl in amazement as she would go in the kitchen and we would say whip up Mm. concoctions. It was like, okay, she's in the kitchen again. And she could really take care of, of anything from a sore throat to, you know, you got a wound on your leg. And when grandmama did it, 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 it made it all better. All right. And she would always tell us, you know, we are born with everything that our body needed to heal itself. Sometimes it just needed a little help. And, that that I think that really was like the catalyst or the spark uh, for my interest in in becoming a holistic doctor because I always wanted to be a doctor. I thought mm-hmm. um, that I was going to be an OBGYN, but seeing all of these things and it coming back home to how I was raised, it just really went with my paradigm of becoming a holistic uh, doctor. So I was very surprised when I got to chiropractic school and the educators there were saying the same thing that my grandmother was saying. Oh, we're born with everything. Our body needs to heal itself. And for me, it was like a full circle moment. It was like, I'm I'm hearing everything that I I grew up with um, in this, this institution, higher learning. I'm like full circle. And so I got an opportunity to make an impact while I was at Life University. I graduated at the top of my class. Um, I was one of um, three uh, black students to graduate in my class. And 
the, the but my biggest shining moment was my grandmother being able to be there and see it all because she really thought that I would never finish school. She used to tease Aww. me all the time. Just like you are a professional student, just like when are you gonna finish? When are you gonna finish school? When am I gonna be able to see some of this stuff? All right, so it was just really good just to see her, you know, be proud of all of the things that she taught, and it kind of, you know, edifying in my life. And uh, and because of that, you know, I decided she that she deserved a degree of her own that day, and um, I called it. We called it the P. H T. It's oh. <laughs> the putting her through degree. Oh, I <laughs> love it. I knew I couldn't do it without her. And you know, um, her, my mom, those were just, you know, folks that reminded me of what my why was and why and why I was here and what and what kind of impact I needed to leave while I was there. We we were just talking uh, not too long ago about about your coaching. And I know there's a huge, powerful story around what happened when you were in the first cycle of your practice. Can can you tell people about what happened and how that inspired you, not only as a chiropractor, but also inspired you as a coach and to help other people with their businesses? Sure. Um, uh, unfortunately, in my first uh, five years of practice, I, I lost my million dollar uh, practice. Um, it, it, and it just was the catalyst of bad business. I was not um, handling my business. I had empowered others to handle my business. And in that, in, in giving that person controls over the financial purse, they kind of stole everything from me. I was so focused on being a great physician, but I wasn't focused on being fiscally responsible for my business. I thought, hey, I'll just hire somebody to do those things, take care of those things for me, and it'll be okay. And that's not what happened. Um, so I can definitely remember that day. It was not the best day of my life. It was awful. And it was one of the hottest days in making, as I was trying to move all of that stuff up out of my practice and try to pick up all of the pieces of everything that had happened to me. And to top it off, I had two people who I really didn't even know that well that I had asked them to help me move all my stuff um, out of that, um, out of the space. And as I was doing that, Dr. Erica, all I could hear was my grandmother were like, girl, you better than this. You can do so much better than this. You didn't, this didn't even have to happen to you. You have to get it together and run your business because if you don't run your business like a business, you're going to be out of business, hence where you are. And so I knew at that point, hearing my first teacher, my first investor in my mind that hey, here's my grandmother again pouring into me, giving me this wisdom, saving my life. And I knew at that point that I had to do the same for others because we just were not taught business principles in school. And so after getting my um, master's of business administration, I said, okay, I got to save, I got to save some other people. I got to keep some people from going down the rabbit hole that I went down um, so that they can have that information and not make the costly mistakes that I did. Did you hear that? Her grandmother was her first investor. 
There is so much power in being present in what may seem like such small acts. Did you also catch how when adversity reared its ugly head, including when she lost her practice, she heard her grandmother's words, which impacted her self-talk. We can draw power from past support and pay it forward by being present for others. I'm still chuckling at the PhD degree, the putting her through degree. <laughs> I can't stop laughing. Uh, it's so adorable. We're now moving on to Dr. Yvette McQueen. She's your travel doctor. She's an emergency medicine physician and wellness expert. If you're trying to figure out how to manage travel in these COVID streets, or I should say these COVID airways, I highly advise you go back and check out her interview on episode 10. This clip focuses on how Dr. Yvette fell in love with travel and the role her family played in this and consequently the role they have played in her discovering her purpose. I can't wait for you to hear it. Better with Dr. Erica. So can you tell the people a little bit, because I know some folks might not necessarily be able to automatically just imagine what the transition is from going from being just a phenomenal ER doc to being an expert on travel, health, and wellness. Can you tell the people a little bit about how this came to be? Sure. So, of course, I'm an emergency doctor. I always wanted to be a doctor since probably about 10th grade. But I think that's when uh, my passion for travel started, too, because I came from a nice little Midwest city, a nice little Midwest family. And I would just watch the planes take off because our vacations was everybody getting a station wagon, going to auntie, uncle's grandma's. So I would watch the planes take off and imagine where people were going. Well, I was lucky enough to have a pen pal back in the day when we wrote people and I had a pen pal in West Germany. So I'm dating myself because yes, it was during the time that Germany was divided. And when I be in the 10th grade, my father said, why don't you go visit her? So I actually had my first international trip, my first airplane trip, my first solo trip when I was 14 years old. And that the bug hit me, the travel bug hit me. So I decided that, yes, I'm going to do medicine, but I'm also going to still explore the world and travel. And, and I decided to mix the two. What is the best lesson that you've learned from your mom? To keep smiling. Oh, I wish you all could see the beautiful <laughs> smile on Dr. Yvette's face right now. But I get to see it. Don't be jealous. I love how she talked about watching planes take off. I remember the spot near Lambert Airport in St. Louis where we used to go watch the planes. I love how Dr. Yvette's imagination played such a big part in her discovering her love for travel. Possibly some of the small little nuggets of good things coming out of this crazy pandemic is the fact that it's, it's forcing us as adults and children to actually use our imaginations because I feel like there is so much power in that creativity and sometimes that gets lost in the busyness of life and electronics. The other thing is this is just a perfect example about how you can have such meaningful experiences that don't have to cost a lot of money. I said it. Sometimes we get wrapped up in the money. 
and everything becomes these high ticket items or what you can or can't have because of money. And this just illustrates sometimes it's the time and the thought and the creativity. Let's see what you do with that. I wish you could have seen her smile when talking about her mom. It just totally warms my heart thinking about it. But rather than sit here just grinning into this microphone, I'm going to go ahead and say, let's make it to the next clip. An episode about family would not be complete without including Leela Goodwin, also known as my mom. Yes, I think she's one of the best moms in the world. The whole world. (laughs) And if you're going to fight me on that, go ahead and fight me. I know I'm a little partial and I'm just going to put it out there. I knew that I needed to share her with all of you. So I talked her into being on my podcast. She spent my childhood as a homemaker while still doing entrepreneurial things and then was still able to retire comfortably after entering the workforce full-time when I was actually in college. So that's one of the reasons I say she is a master at stretching a dollar. I really feel like she could stretch a penny. So stay tuned to this old school wisdom and you're going to hear about roles of everyone in the home, burnout in women, and how self-care can be a lifesaver. Here she is. Better with Dr. Erica. What is something that inspired you to become a homemaker? And can you tell the people what exactly a homemaker is? Because some people, I think what they think a homemaker is and what a homemaker does, in the same. Well, my definition of a homemaker is not today's stay-at-home mom. My definition of a homemaker is taking care of your home and your family. That's your job. And when I was raising Dr. Erica, everybody had a job. Her dad's job was to go to work and support the family. Her job was to go to school and do the best she could. And my job was everything else. So homemakers all around everything. That's, that's, everything else was a lot of things. <laughs> it, I, I will testify, it was a lot of things. And what do you think lit the fire underneath you? Because one of the things I remember a lot growing up, my mother was a homemaker. So she did all the things from managing everything in the house, managing the money, hard starching better than the clinic. I mean, then the cleaners getting me everywhere, just doing literally all the things. But on top of that, she also had this entrepreneurial spirit and periodically she'd be running small businesses out of the home or even outside the home. What do you think lit that entrepreneurial spirit for you? Um, unfortunately, I think it was partly my lack of focus is I have a short attention span. So I was always off to another project. So it was like running the home, but at the same time doing other things so that I didn't lose me in that process. So now what inspired you to end up rejoining corporate America? Divorce and need to work, support myself. (laughs) (laughs) Where the money was at. Say bills. (laughs) I mean, that's that's the honest answer. answer. You know, and I I think that's important is that we always have all these conversations around 
And it's a big thing now that we're all talking about living your purpose, doing your passion. And there's always this balance between how to make your passion and purpose align with what will take care of your basic needs, because we all still have bills and responsibilities and making sure that these align so that in the ideal world, your passion and your purpose align to something that you can actually also make money with. There are days when it's like you get tired of not having much. I won't say not having anything to do, but not having anywhere to have to be because you've done that for so long. But every time the thought of getting a job comes to mind, it doesn't stay there very long because I think about the fact that somebody's going to want me to be there on time every day and stay there all day. And I don't have to do any of that anymore. So retirement's wonderful, you know, for me. I'm, I'm luckier than a lot of people. And I consider myself blessed that I don't have to live my life from a position of scarcity, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, I was lucky enough to have been able to come along during a time when if you were into investing, your investments made money that is still around. Being a parent is is difficult at best. And when it's possible for you to, to try to have it all, but what tends to happen is as a woman, you tend to burn out. This is not an indictment of men, but they tend to come home from work and eat dinner and watch television. Even if you don't have virtual school, you've got little kiddos that have homework to do. You've got to get their clothes ready for the next day. You've got to get them bathed and in bed. Then you've still got other stuff you have to do. And I was an old school mom, so I ironed clothes. So oftentimes I'd have to iron shirts because I wanted my husband to look a certain way when he went to work because I was raised that how how a man looked when he left the house was a direct reflection on his wife. You know, so, I mean, there's a lot of those old school norms that have gone out the door. But when I was coming along, that's just the way it was. Mm-hmm. So um, anybody that thinks having a career, having a family, even if you're married and don't have children, that's not an easy job for women. So so when you talk about how it's not necessarily easy, what are some of the things you've learned along the way from your journey of being a homemaker, wife, mom, everyone under the same house to being an empty nester and still being vibrant and doing things? What have you learned as far as some strategies that you feel like have been helpful when it comes to balancing, taking care of yourself versus taking care of the world. Well, and and you get the nail on the head, taking care of yourself. It's as women, we tend to put ourselves last. And what tends to happen is eventually your body's going to get broke down and then you're not even good to anybody else. So we have to be mindful of doing self-care. And sometimes self-care might only mean um Get you a chair and go sit out on the porch by yourself where there's nobody asking you for anything 
or the need to do anything. You know, self-care to everybody means something different. Sometimes for me, self-care is I like to go stumble around in craft stores. I can be there all day. I can spend hours in Michael's. I can spend hours in Joanne's, but crafts are my thing. Were there ever any times you hid for me to get your alone time? Yes. (laughs) No, not really. uh, Because this is going to, I don't want to sound like a tyrant, but you had structure in your life and you had a certain time you had to go to bed, you know, as a little kid, you weren't up to nine or 10 o'clock at night. You know, uh, probably when you were in kindergarten, the latest you were ever up was eight o'clock. I mean, it's still light outside. You're in bed. And that's how you manage your time. So then I could have a few minutes that I was away from you. But, you know, you were ideal kid that didn't need to be with me. Oh, Listening to that episode and that clip just reminds me how that episode just gives me all of the warm and fuzzies. I still smile at how my mom asked me after it was over if she did all right, when in fact she actually was great. Did you catch how she talked about having each person have clarity on their roles and responsibility and how that was helpful? This starts getting us to the edge of another Better 7 principle structure. A lot of burnout from perpetually giving and giving is further impacted by our self-talk and by you telling yourself that you are not enough, that you are not done, or just being hypercritical of yourself. Take some time to show yourself some love and kindness by complimenting yourself and reminding yourself that you can do anything. When you hear yourself getting into that space where you start getting critical, and telling yourself about all the things you can't do or all the ways you don't have it together, start stopping yourself. You can check yourself. As I say, you can check yourself before you wreck yourself. Just stop yourself and change it and say something kind to yourself. Let's circle back to that part of the conversation of the importance of making your passion and purpose align. Your journey is unique to you. So remember that this is your story not another version of someone else's. All right. So don't forget that you can catch her full episode, which is episode seven. And I swear every time I give an episode number, it just makes me think of Star Wars because, you know, there's like one of my favorites is episode four. But there are all these episodes all the way to nine. And this just makes me think of Star Wars. But I didn't get you on this podcast to talk about Star Wars but we're having such a blast, so let's keep it going. First, let me start off with telling you about how much I love Dr. Lakeisha, and also how she has the best story about how her and her husband met. You'll have to catch it on the full episode of episode number five because I just didn't have time to include it here. Dr. Lakeisha McMillan, also known as Dr. Lakeisha, is an integrative OBGYN that specializes in balancing hormones. I look at her as like the perimenopause and menopause guru. Her clip is powerful and demonstrates the impact of having open communication and how this can change the game with intimacy and sex during these hormonal changes. But these lessons can be applied to life outside of perimenopause and menopause. 
She also talks about how asking for help and embracing grace has changed her life and much more. She can tell you more about it, so let me get out of the way and let you hear the clip. Better with Dr. Erica. You're not quite sure what's going on and you just feel like I'm just a little off. You may just sit around in a house or go to work feeling off because you don't know it's necessarily something to see the doctor for. So I think it's helpful to have this language. And it's one of the reasons also why it's important for people to get seen by trained, licensed professionals, because since I'm also a medical doctor, Dr. Lakeisha is a medical doctor, that I can still have these things on my radar because as you see, some of the things she's noting has some crossover with some other mental health diagnoses or issues. And that if you're not aware of those things, you may not necessarily be thinking that may be something going on. Mm -hmm. And then also you wanna have some considerations for a lot of us, some of the people we have, they're having things going on, but they may not know to tell you. So like I have to commonly, I specifically ask my patients about, you know, how's your sex drive? Are you intimate with your partner? Are you comfortable? You know, do you all even sleep in the same bed to get to an idea of what's going on? Because one of the things that happens so much is even with depression or anxiety, sometimes people's libido goes down. But if you're also looking at some of these perimenopause and menopausal issues, if someone is having some changes in their libido from that or they're having vaginal dryness, nobody wants to have sex if it hurts. Exactly. Nobody wants anything in their parts if it hurts. Exactly. And then we need to demystify it. We need to take away the shame of it so that you can have these conversations so that you can say, hey, something's not right. It's not necessarily you. I need to go and get checked or this is what we have to do now. We have to change things up because, you know, not everybody's plan is going to be the same. So your doctor may say, hey, okay, your levels are pretty okay. Maybe there's something local that you need to do. So maybe, you know, do a lubrication and, and, you know, have that conversation about, hey, this is the way things are going to just be. And, and let's just, let's, let's figure out this new us. Let's figure out what's new with, with our situation with me with us because we're constantly evolving we're constantly changing we're not the same person that we were and so if we can figure this out and then do what is best for us we can be that optimal person we can be at our best and we can then be at our best in a community what are some things you've been doing to manage taking care of yourself taking care of your family, because as you heard, she's married with, with some kiddos, running a business, being a doctor. How do you balance all of the things? Ooh, Dr. Erica, there are some days I do not even feel like, I, I just, I don't even feel like I'm doing all the things, right? So there are some days, and those are the days I've had to learn to give myself grace. So for example, like the other day, um, actually, it was just Monday. So you all know daylight savings time has happened. And last week, I don't know, we were doing pretty OK. But yesterday, it there was just something that hit me and the kids. And, you know, the kids are home. They're doing their distance learning. And I just I just start I just like let out this kind of like. Ah! And they looked at me. They were like, 
are you okay? I was like, no, I'm tired of quarantine. I'm tired of the pandemic. I'm just tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. And they just started laughing because they were able to say, you know what? Yeah, this sucks. Like, this is bad. And I think in the past, I would have still felt like, I'm the mother and I need to put on the brave front and I, and guys, we can do this. We can get through this and all the, you know, positive energy and positive affirmative talks and, you know, affirmations and we're going to do this. And no, there are days where it just sucks. It just sucks. And you have to give yourself grace. So learning to do that, learning to listen to my body. So changing even the way that I've exercised. I have now started embracing yoga and I have a different, a certain program that I do. I love it. When it was cold, I was doing not as much of it in the house because that's just not what I wanted to do. It's now sun outside. I went outside today. I was like, yes, I'm back. So learning how to change and to shift and pivot and learn what works for your body, um, being able to ask for help. So this goes into, y'all, as Dr. Eric has already said, I'm, I'm Miss Queen of Transparency. This has gone into my realm of when I, I'm dealing with my therapist and actually uncovering certain things that I need to work on as a human. And I didn't realize that asking for help in my mind had a, a was synonymous with saying I had failed. And it was like, no, 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 it's not. You just need, you need some extra hands. You need some other people on deck. So learning how to ask for help and ask for help in all things. I mean, something as simple as saying, hey guys, I just need some consistent help with the trash on Tuesdays and Fridays. Simple as that. And it wasn't a big deal. It didn't become a big thing. And it helped and it works. Like, Oh, okay. You needed that help. No problem. You know, so asking for help and then learning how to delegate is another big thing. So having, having the right people on your healthcare team, as I just said, I have a therapist and I had to do what I call, I was like, Hey, it's time for a tune up. We are in the thick of this. This is, this is quarantine pandemic. I need a tune up. So recognizing when you need to take certain people out of your, you know, your toolbox, your toolkit and start saying, okay, I need to incorporate certain things and I need to make sure that I'm doing okay, that my oxygen mask is on first before I go and help anybody else, because I won't be any good if I'm passed out. Well, that is excellent. You gave all the nuggets because I, I hear giving yourself grace. But I think the first thing is not to have the expectation that we're going to be perfect, that even even people that look like they have it all the way together. There's sometimes they don't have it together. This view that you're doing something wrong if you don't have it together all the time is just false. And then self-awareness, being adaptable, asking for help and, and having realistic expectations for yourself. She said so many great things that were profound, but I want to highlight this one regarding her previous mindset. She thought, quote, asking for help was synonymous with I failed, end quote. I'm doing air quotes, but you can't see him. Let's just pause and let that mic drop on that. How many of you have felt that asking for help meant that you failed? or that you weren't good enough, or that it was a sign of weakness, or that you should be able to manage everything. 
this right here. Yes, this right here. Asking for help engages support and changes the language that you talk to yourself. So it impacts your self-talk. Ironically, asking for help is a sign of strength and self-compassion. It can also be a sign of good leadership. One of the things that breaks my heart is when people are suffering needlessly because there is a solution or help available, but they are uncomfortable with seeking help. This happens way too often when it comes to getting help from a mental health caregiver. As you hear, Dr. Lakeisha is a rock star and has built a team around her to help her succeed, including for her to be better, do better, and live better. That includes her psychiatrist and therapist. So don't wait until you're drowning to ask for help. Be it just that you needed someone to talk to, you need some help with some chores around the house, an extra set of eyes to proofread something, someone to deliver your groceries, or someone to help tighten up your mental health, or as the kids say, your mentals. Don't wait. That just says it all. So let's go ahead and get to the next clip. Isn't this episode great? I'm having a ball and just learning so much. It's even better the second or third time around because you know I've heard these clips. Brendan Moore is a master community builder along with being a wellness expert and podcaster among other things. Given the season of Lost, I also encourage you to go back and check out his full episode which was episode two that focused on grief and loss. But back to this clip. Have you thought about how our family may be chosen or biological? It's a blessing that we are born into a family, but can also create one for ourselves, not just by getting married or procreating. This clip looks at the meaning and impact of family, along with how our family, especially our parent figures, can shape our lives by inspiring us to discover new passions and purpose. You're gonna to wanna to hear all of this. So let me be quiet and let you actually hear it. Better with Dr. Erica. One of the neat things about when you were doing the roundup was that you actually were working with your brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then people started knowing him as Roundup Russie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's still his license plate. It's funny. And, and you know, what's funny is, is so the people that we worked with all those many years ago, that's that's those guys are family. And every project that I move forward with, those it's the same team. It's like Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince. It, when he went on to just doing Will Smith, mm-hmm. he'll tell you the name changed, but the operation was still, Jeff was doing the beats and I was doing the, so still very much. We have, as you know, we have a we have Brooklyn Tea, the Tea Cafe in in Bedsty, which is expanding to Atlanta, which is Woo-hoo! fantastic. Yeah, and online. Who knows? I won't have to keep doing all of my online orders. I can actually just you go can actually pick go up in, my tea. right, and drink in the in the spot, which is down by the Mercedes Benz Dome, which would be fantastic. Uh, in the five years with the construction they're doing down there, you know, we've got Eating for Abs, like you said, which is nutrition coaching. As you know, I'm currently working uh, in the tech space, and that's another place. And really, let me get even more detailed and say all of these fireplaces are really about my communities. It's about doing as much as I can for black communities because we have such inequities in the United States that there's so much work to be done. I just keep on going kind of, you know, level to level saying, how can I elevate my people? That's what it's about. You know, number one, I I love that you could actually build business and be able to spend that kind of time 
with your brother. Can you tell us a little bit more about your family? Because I know family is something really important to you. So what we have in Black America is ex- we have a lot of extended family, and we also have fictive kinship, which means you you can have people that you grew up with your whole life, and they're your your play cousin, per se. And eventually the play disappears, and that's just my cousin or my little brother. So my biological little brother you're talking about is Rustin, mm-hmm. uh, a.k.a. Roundup Rusty. He's in Washington, D.C. right now. The other little brother is Alfonso, a.k.a. Tito, who is the... CEO of Brooklyn Tea, uh, which is fantastic. And of course, I'm, I'm married. I've got three kids, two of which are done with school, one which is graduating this year. He'll be at, drumroll announcement, he'll be at North Carolina A&T as a freshman next year. Oh, though, no Howard? Did not, nope, not Howard. And he did get accepted to Morehouse as well. But, you know, we're making financial decisions and, and figuring out, you know, we're in state in North Carolina. So that's where he's going. In addition, you know, my mom is in New Jersey, and I know we're going to get around to talking about my dad, who recently passed, uh, and that's like a brand new thing for me. And that's really why I'm so excited to talk to you about today, because we recently did a podcast on my show, The Black Futurist. Oh. Normally, I quarterback those shows. Right? Normally, <laughs> I know what's going on. Normally, I walk in the door knowing exactly what we're going to talk about. I've got a couple zingers that people might not know are coming. Are you a and, control and freak? Go. No, I'm just really entertaining. <laughs> really, really entertaining. <laughs> but this time, my uh, my good friend co-host, Dr. Maurice Dolberry, says, hey, you normally you know run the role, but I'm going to do it this time. I was like, sweet. Okay, cool. And he goes, um, and I'm not going to tell you what we're talking about. Okay, very cool. I stand in this very spot when we do this podcast. And for those of you who are listening on audio, I'm in a giant walk-in closet. And I do this because of, I do it because it's the best audio quality I can get, right? But since I'm standing in the closet, I've hung up pictures, right? I've got some very cool pictures in the closet. The show is called The Black Futurist. It's a lot about science fiction as well as where we'll be in iteration, the next iteration, the next iteration of Black uh, evolution in social evolution in the United States and in the world. So I'm thinking, okay, we're going to talk about one of these incredible shows that have just come out that we've watched or one of these movies or Marvel or, or whatever. I'm ready. If you're not telling me what we're talking about, that's fine. We walk into the show. He does an intro. And the first thing he asks me is, so your dad passed away two months ago. How you how you doing with that? Oh. I was floored. Wait, one more. Ooh. I make a commitment when I walk into this room that I'm going to be honest and transparent. And if that's the question, then you're going to get the honest answers. And what I got from that show of listening back to it was a solid understanding that I'm lacking some tools to cope with loss like that. Mm. I'm sure there's like hundreds of years of developed and iterated and finely tuned skills and uh, tools to help people deal with stuff. I remember walking out of that show, and especially after the edit, I was saying, you know what? It's a great show. Very open, very honest. I'm not at all ashamed about releasing it. And I could probably benefit from using some tools. And so when you called and said, hey, would you come on the show? And what what, what might you want to talk about? I was like, I know exactly what we want to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) How do people deal with grief? And what can we share from your toolbox? And what do I need to know? Because it's, it's a thing. For those who are like me, you know, dad, my nuclear family was intact. 
You know, I know that not everybody had both parents in the house. I was blessed to have um, my grandparents lived in the same town. When I bought my first house, one my other side grandmother lived on my same street and my parents lived across town. Right. So all through growing up and then I left for college. But when I moved back to the Northeast, family was all around. And so I was blessed to have that. And as, as my wife and I started having children, it made a huge difference because you have all this familial support. Mm-hmm. So dad, years ago, when he was just out of uh, undergrad, left after getting his degree in urban planning and moved to Atlanta. You don't even know this part of the story. I didn't. Right. He moved to Atlanta because at the time there was a movement to build a city for black professionals, black people, where we can like live together and take care of each other and, you know, kind of escape all the turmoil of uh, everyday America that was happening in, in the 60s and 70s and all that. So there's a place called Soul City. That you can look that up in Wikipedia. It's still up. Soul City was the name of the development in Atlanta mm. uh, where professionals were being attracted to come down and help build this place out. While he was there, this young dude in his early 20s, he was asked to climb up on a roof and do something with some, move move something. And there was a power line that was down. And I guess there was some water up there. Long story short, he got electrocuted. Oh, my Lord. Yep, third-degree burns over much of his body. And actually had to end up getting, uh, he became an amputee, uh, below-the-knee amputee. That's been present my whole life. Okay. Never meant anything because it was just the baseline for, you know, my experience. I I didn't know any different. And that's fine. You know, all good. Later in life, he would develop type 2 diabetes. Mm. He would go beyond that to have congestive heart failure due to kidney problems and then go on to dialysis and eventually a kidney transplant. And so by the time we get to kidney transplant age, I'm an adult with three kids who owns a house in town. Mm -hmm. And my dad, being the son of a, 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 a major in the Army, black major in the army at a time when, uh, you know, we were getting our asses kicked in war and when we come back, right? His dad was not very emotional. He was, you know, very rigid. So dad didn't have a lot of the tools to engage with us emotionally, my brother and I, you know, he was kind of in between not as hard as his father, but not really touchy feely. So the day he goes in for his kidney transplant after like two years of dialysis, he calls my wife and I and he just says something that rocked my world. It was just, he said, all he said was, hey, I just want you to know you're doing a great job with the kids. That's all he said. Like, that should be an everyday pat on the back, right? For for everybody else. But for me, it was like the one touchy-feely moment from dad broke me. Done. And uh, And that hurt in the moment. So in that moment, kind of dug my heels in after I recovered. I just said, you know what? That hurt. And that pain of, you know, he's he's saying that because it's finalistic. You know, he doesn't know if he's going to make it out of this operation and all that kind of stuff. But I said, I will do and commit to doing not anything, but everything that I need to do to prevent or forestall the time until I have to make a call like that to my kids. Okay. I'll do everything. So I went and uh, got a coach who was... Uh, incredible. I worked with him for a year, worked with his assistant coach for a year, and changed my life. I always love hearing Be More talk, and I'm still so honored 
that he trusted me to allow me to participate in his journey of healing from the death of his father. Did you catch that part? How his father's life and struggles inspired him to make different choices and also impacted the way he visualized his communication with his own children? In addition, I was struck by the power of chosen and biological family and how those supports can cross over into so many areas of your life. This is even more powerful for all of you that may have strained relationships with your biological family or even no relationships with them due to how you were treated. No matter the condition of the family you were born into, you can always have the power to create a loving support system of chosen family. That's such an important fact that you can have the power to create family. I can't help it, I'm smiling. You just can't see it. This next guest is someone I know from way back when, way back in those days in St. Louis growing up. He is also notable as someone that I asked to prom. And you know what he told me? He told me no, <laughs> I still chuckle. But let's get back to my guest, Terrell Fletcher. He's so much more than a retired NFL athlete. He's an author, speaker, faith leader, and dedicated family man. You may not have been an NFL player, but you may have been at that place where one chapter of your life was wrapping up and you have to figure out what direction you wanna go for the next chapter. This clip highlights how someone can be palpably in love with their family and how some men even look forward to falling in love and having a family. As a single woman in my 40s that talks to lots of women personally and professionally, there are a lot of women out there that need to hear that. There are also a lot of men out there that, that need to hear it too. So I'm just glad that I could bring Terrell here for you to say it. So rather than me just recap forever, let's go ahead and go to the clip. Better with Dr. Erica. I was drafted by the San Diego Chargers and I played for uh, nine years here in San Diego and I just never left. I stayed here and never left. And I had to do like many athletes, after you're finished playing and giving so much energy to one passion, you kind of have to reinvent yourself and determine what you're going to give the world now. Because most of us retire, you know, before we're 35 and we have a lot of living left. And the journey of transforming my, my life and making my experiences usable and finding ways to monetize that idea, as well as help as many people as possible. It, it really led me into the space that I'm in now, which is um, ministry related, but also um, inspirational and motivational um, writing, speaking, entertainment, et cetera. Um, and I, I think I just kind of caught you up. In the meantime, I picked up a beautiful wife and three amazing children. And yeah, they are the reason why I work so hard every day of my life. We've got two young, young ones running around the house now. Uh, they're one and a half, they'll be two in December. And they bring a whole different level of light and energy <laughs> to the household. So that glow that you're feeling, you know, my wife makes it happen around the house. But it's those babies. It's those two young ones. They're twins, a boy and a girl. And mm -hmm. they bring a whole 
different energy back to the house. Well, and one of the things I have to say, though, and it's it's a beautiful thing, is that the people can't see exactly how you look right now, but you light up when you talk about your family. And I think like as a little girl growing up, that's the thing you want. You want you want to be married to someone, be it whatever your orientation is, but you want to be married to someone that when they speak of you and they speak of your family, that they light up and that looks like a source of joy and meaning for them. So I have to say thank you for all the ladies out here. And I'm sorry, ladies, if you see what he looks like, he ain't available. <laughs> but I, I want to say thank you for giving people hope and being an example, even though, though I know everything's not perfect all the time, but just an example of, of someone that actually looks in love with their family. I appreciate that. I, I am in love with my family. Like it's the it's really being married and having children is the joy of my life. I the, the interesting thing, Erica, is I used to want this as a child. Like almost the way that the, the girls used to idolize falling in love and having a great family. I used to want to fall in love and have a great family. And my dad was such an amazing father. And you, you don't learn about the Rocky and the roads that mm-hmm. that happen in a marriage until you're much older. But from a child's oh, perspective, definitely. yeah, from a child's perspective, you know, my parents had a solid marriage and my dad was in fact and still is just like my best friend in life. And that's what I wanted. Oh. I wanted to share that with children. I wanted to be my wife's best friend. I wanted to lean in. And when I realized as I got older, I realized that it was okay. It was authentic to who I was. It didn't make me less of a man. It didn't make me, you know, not macho enough. I leaned into it. I leaned into it and said, man, this is what I want out of life. And this is the dude I want to be. And I want to love my family and I want to be loved by my family. I want to, you know, press into my children and make them the center of my world. And everything else will evolve and revolve around that versus making them evolve and revolve around my my career. So it worked out, man. I'm just blessed. I really am in a great season. I'm glad you noticed that. So um, hopefully my wife will give you some kudos and give me some kudos when uh, she reads and listens to this podcast. I did not know that I love somebody besides myself, that I could love a greater community that was not just me. You know, those were the things that I did that we didn't get to. And when I talked about transforming, you know, your your uh, transforming your life and your journey, all of it took a different space of saying this was great for what you did. But now who will you be and what will you give the world now that you can't give them your athleticism? What will you give the world now? And that was the journey for me. And that's why it was so hard and why it took so long that after after nine years, you go on this three-year journey just trying to figure out, like, shoot, oh, I'll be a sports announcer. I don't really like sports announcing. Oh, I'll be a coach. I hated coaching. I'll be, you know. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, I went on a missions trip to Nigeria, to, and I met some of the most amazing people in the world who happened to be some of the poorest people in the world. And my heart just said, this is it. Helping people is it. 
and I didn't have money to give them and I didn't have gifts to give them. And um, I'll tell you a, a real quick story and, I'll, and we can go into the next question. So I, I'm at the this little marketplace and I've got on my flip flops and I, or my sneakers and I've got on my, my jeans and all this kind of stuff. And when you go on those kind of trips, like you, everything that you bring, you're going to end up giving it away because the people have so many needs. And three days in, I've already given my sweater away. I've given a jacket away. You know, I've got, so I'm at this mark and, and market and this guy is um, um, bartering with me. I wanted this chair made. They were making chairs literally out of tree bark and I wanted oh, wow. a chair made. And he's like, uh, I don't, you know, he's like, okay, I want, I want your shoes. And I'm like, no, I can't give you my shoes. I can't give you my shoes, but I will give you this watch. And I have this watch on and it was a, it was a, a, you know, it was a, it was an expensive watch, but it was worth more than that chair was going to be worth. Right. And I told him like, no, this watch is worth more than your chair. It's probably, and it's worth way more than these shoes I have. And this is what the guy told me. He says, look around you. He says, where am I going to go? Where do I have to be on time? He said, I don't. He said, what I, I don't need a watch. What I need, and he showed me his flip-flops. He said, I need shoes. That's more expensive to me than your watch is. So I'm like, oh, God, I'm tearing up, and I take, my, <laughs> you know, I take my shoes off. It's like, okay, if I can find some flip-flops in this market somewhere, you can have my sneakers, and you don't even have to make the chair. You can have the sneakers. But, what, but it, was, it, was, it was the lesson that I learned because I had nothing. I had nothing left. I had four days remaining in Nigeria and had given away all my clothes, practically except the clothes on my back and literally the shoes off my feet. Uh-huh. And, what, and what I learned was I'm not going to be able to give enough to fix all the things that are broken. Right. So I have to give something that can last more than whatever I had in my suitcase. And for the last four days, I kept telling people, hang in there. I kept challenging people saying, it doesn't have to always be like this. I kept telling people, look how beautiful your family is. You've got the world. I kept telling, and I realized how that was challenging people in a different space because I was forced to have to think that way because I had nothing more to give Mm. except for the energy God gave me, the good words that were in my heart. And I learned how impactful those words could be. I still have people today from my first visit to Nigeria that I keep in contact with that were impacted by not what I tangibly gave, but what I gave from my heart that day. So we all have that. We all have something from the heart to give. I love how Terrell gives you hope that there are men out there that want to be in love and be present for their family. It's important to hear it because at times there's such a narrative that men aren't looking to really be there for their family and aren't always looking to really be in love. And that narrative, unfortunately, sometimes is told way too often about black men. But guess what? We're going to have to make sure that his wife hears this clip so that Terrell can get all of the brownie points. That question 
what will you give the world is so profound and can be applied to your life no matter your gifts, talents, or circumstances. There are so many gifts that you have, yes, you, that you may not see until you get quiet and still enough. If you're unsure of your gifts and unsure of where you're gonna go or unsure of what you are meant to give to the world, sometimes you just need to get still. I can't think of a better guest to end my episode with than someone whose journey I have watched for way too many years. I'm not going to say how many years. I'm not going to date either one of us. And also for someone whose family was one that everyone knew growing up. Because everyone knew who the Fletchers were. So again, make sure your wife hears this episode. She might even let you have some candy and splurge a little bit on that healthy diet. But I know you won't splurge too much because I know you take care of yourself and are are looking to be here for a long time. Is the episode over? For real? Darn it. Okay, I guess it has to be over sometime. Thanks so much for listening. The time just flew by. I hope this bonus episode gave you further inspiration to be better, do better, and live better. Season 2 officially starts on Tuesday, September 28th. You can still get more Better with Dr. Erica. This is such a great time to go back and listen to Season 1 episodes. You can even binge them. I'm not going to stop you. This can get you warmed up for the new season, which, as I said before, has some really special things for you. So talking about better, one of the things that you can do to help this podcast get even better and bring more quality content is share it. So please share the podcast with your family, friends, co-workers, that person you passed in the park, or even your Lyft or Uber driver. You can be part of making other people's lives better. Plus, who wants a podcast like this being the best kept secret? So help me change that. So can I ask you one more thing? It won't even take long. Please subscribe or follow the pod. Then, can you rate or review it? Can I get five stars, please? Pretty please? Pretty please with sugar on top? And some cherries? And colored sprinkles? (laughs) So don't worry if you don't see the rate and review option. It's not on all platforms, but it definitely is there on Audible and Apple Podcasts can also give you a big thank you. You have a bunch of options of podcasts and you chose mine. I feel so special. Thanks for trusting me with your time and choosing to give me the honor of being in your ears. So don't forget the season two starts on September 28th with new episodes releasing on Tuesdays. The season kicks off with Dr. Delicia Haynes in an episode about making mental health your priority. I can't wait to catch up with you. Until next time, have a better day. Better with Dr. Erica. Welcome to Goodwin Medical Associates, where we provide customized, caring telepsychiatry that is delivered with compassion by a Harvard-trained, double-board-certified psychiatrist. Don't you know that everyone, including you, deserves great mental health? Visit www.goodwintelepsych.com. 
www.thepowerofyourmindset.com for more information and to book your free consultation. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Nurse Wellness Podcast, hosted by Wendy Garvin Mayo, focuses on the power of stress management and how it's foundational to being your best, doing your best, and giving your best. There's a wonderful episode that you should check out called Letting Go, where Wendy Garvin Mayo shares six strategies to release control and manage stress effectively. Check out Nurse Wellness Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.